Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 58 for Monday, March 28th, 2016. And welcome to Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, the show by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. How are you today, Mr. Mr. Paul Kent? I'm doing pretty good, Dave. Did you have a nice weekend? I did. We, um, it was actually my wife's, in addition to being the holiday of Easter, it was also my wife's grandmother's 99th birthday. On Sunday. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, she deserves a great deal of congratulations for that. Yeah. And so uh, so we got to see her, but uh, we wound up having Easter brunch with her and she lives in Pauling, New York. And so we went to Daryl's house for uh, Easter brunch. I Go- saw that. Gospel Easter brunch, I will say. Yeah. So, so that, you're gonna have to fill me in on this. This is the actual Daryl's house where they film the show. Yeah. So Daryl Hall is who we're talking about here, and uh, he uh, he used to well, he started his web show, which then turned into a show on Palladium and you know all of that. But he he started that when he had a house in upstate New York, just a, this big old barn house that you that you see, a farmhouse kind of thing, barn thing. And uh, and then he sold that place a number of years ago, in fact, and wound up buying an old club in Pauling, New York, which is right kind of right on the New York, Connecticut line. Um, and he converted that club and turned it in, added a, a stage and sort of made the, the inside of the place kind of has the same decor that, that you would have been used to if you saw the show that sort of, you know, light wood exposed kind of tongue yeah. and groove stuff. Yep. And, uh, and so now they have gigs there. I think they opened it, they opened that club a year and a half ago on New Year's Eve. So not quite a year and a half ago, a year and a quarter ago. And uh, and Hall & Oates was the the first band that played there. But but they've got lots of bands that, that play all the time. And uh, yesterday for, for Gospel Easter Brunch, it was Alexis P. Suter and the Ministers of Gospel, which was uh, a fant- oh, fantastic band. She Alexis Suter has this huge, huge voice. But unfortunately, she was sick. She still had a huge voice, but um, she didn't. She sang maybe half the the tunes in the set that we caught and the rest of the band sang the rest. And they were I mean, the band was just awesome. It's fantastic. Keyboard, guitar and uh, and drums. And then two and you singers. know this act. You've seen them before. No, no. They were just they just happened to be there. And so we uh, we booked it because we wanted to we were going to be in Pauling. And Lisa's like, if we're going to be in Pauling, I want to check out Daryl's house. <laughs> And is this like um, on the New York Connecticut border? So it's not like an urban thing. Is this a, like a cover band venue, an original band venue, and and you know, like who plays there? Yeah, it's it's sort of all over the map. Um, there's there's you know there's uh, big name people that kind of come in uh, and play, and they're actually building an outdoor uh, setup and stage for. I think it's going to open this summer. In fact, I think it opens on uh, Memorial Day weekend where they can fit like a thousand people. I mean, the club's small, a couple hundred people kind of thing. And yeah, uh, yeah it's all kind all different types of bands play, but Sweet. it's a great little setup, great food. And the sound was killer. Um, it was interesting. Cause we got there while the, the uh, engineer was kind of, you know, just kind of 
quickly tuning the system. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a house system, so they don't have to reinvent the wheel every day, but he was tuning the system and it was like, huh, it, it's interesting. I'm hearing far more of the monitors than the mains. And I thought maybe he just doesn't have the mains on and he's just, you know, tweaking the monitors. And when the band started, it was obvious that most of the sound, the, I mean, the sound was crystal clear and pristine. And it's obvious that what they do there, especially for like a, you know, a, 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 a you know, brunch type thing where people are eating and, and, uh, and that, I mean, it was still loud and still like full, but uh, not blaring and, and cri- like I said, crystal clear. And I think they're really smart. They get the monitors tuned up and then figure out how much of that is going to translate into the room with whatever act they've got. And then only use the mains to like pepper in maybe some high end that would get lost because the monitors are aiming the other direction, you know, really using the system as, as a holistic thing, as opposed to now I need to put everything in the mains full range, you know, and, and blast out the room. It's like, no, you don't, you just maybe need to add a little high end and and that's all it needs to, you know, to finish translating that to the room. I always wondered like watching live at Daryl's house, you know, they have all these amazing acts that come in and jam with that band. Sure. And they're so relaxed and the music is so nuanced. I always wondered what they're actually hearing in the room when they're recording that. Cause you know what it's like when you record, right? Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of symbol, right? The guitars are too loud and you know, you're just kind of like many rehearsals are surviving, not really, you know, fine tuning. They're, they're like, um, they're, they're reality checks to see if you can get through the song, you know, start together, end together. But, but if you watch that live at Daryl's house, I mean, there's just such subtlety to all the playing. It doesn't seem like a, a, a pickup band in a garage is jamming. So I always wonder what it would be like to be in there and hear when the, what the volume levels are like and what the sound was like actually in a room like that. My guess, based on watching them play, <clears throat> and now I'm talking about kind of the old episodes yeah. of the TV show where they're where they're in his old barn, uh, that it was really loud in there because that that drummer plays really really loud. And but they also have really tall ceilings, and that was something they did in this room. That the uh, most of the room actually has very very low ceilings, but the stage has a big scoop kind of on top of it. So that the sound doesn't bounce from the stage straight out, you know, it kind of gets to go up and gets kind of baffled up there. And, uh, and I think that really helped the room. He didn't, he didn't build that room though. He bought that room as is. He bought it. And I mean, it's clear they, they put a ton of money into it. So I I don't know what it looked like beforehand. It's weird. I used to live maybe 10 minutes from this place and I had no idea that there was a club there. So if, if it was, and this was 10 years ago, so, um, if there if there was a club there ten years ago, it was, you know, not <laughs> not something that made it on the map. Right. <laughs> but I don't know. You know, it, I I didn't research the history. But I I want to take issue actually with something you said where rehearsals are survival, and and you don't actually worry about the sound. You and I must have very different rehearsal techniques because the sound is something I work on, and I always make sure the band works on diligently at rehearsal because if you can't make it sound good in a rehearsal room, you're never going to be able to make it sound good on stage. You got to be aware of all those same things. And I always try to keep rehearsals totally like dialed in and, uh, and making sure that everybody's listening for everybody else's parts and leaving room for harmonies. And I mean, there's, there's more than just playing your parts, right? There's the, 
the whole concept of leaving room for what the other people are going to do and learning about that in rehearsal so that you can translate that to the stage. That's always so, my experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. So let me walk you through a house rock rehearsal. So okay. we, re- we rehearsed in Nick's garage. Yeah. And, um, you know, it is a garage that's used for other things. He sure. runs a small, his small business out of there. He's got his laundry in there. You know, there's a, there's a, like a wall, uh, like a, a half a wall that divides half of the garage. Um, he put a small drum riser in and there's a kit in the corner. He has his setup, his two keyboards, and he has a monitor pointing up at him. Okay. There, there's one monitor for the rest of the room. So it's kind of in front of his keyboards, kind of pointing out. And it's something that everybody shares. The five horns line up uh, in two lines, the two saxophones and then the three bass brass people behind them facing inward in, into the middle of the room. And then Simon, <clears throat> Steve, uh, our bass player and myself are kind of in a uh, complete the semicircle facing inward. And, you know, we're we're pretty loud when we rehearse. I mean, a five horns. Yeah. In a little garage is going to be loud by definition. Yep. The, dr- the drums ring tremendously. Mm. And, and, you know, we, we constantly are, um, you know, come on guys, turn it down, get underneath the horns, get underneath, get underneath the vocals. Get underneath. But in general, what I feel like our rehearsals are, are um, confirming parts. Sure. Running whole songs multiple times to check form. And then when there's something that does require some subtlety, harmonies we work individually and when we play full songs you can you can kind of i wouldn't say that the vocals are clearly on top and effortless effortlessly able to pick out the harmonies so you know we work harmony separately and then we practice harmonies in the in the midst of a song but it's a 20 by 20 garage and there's 10 guys in there and the volume just gets up it gets up acoustically from the drums and the and the horns and it gets up amplified from everybody else and so subtlety is when we break a song down huh. and yeah. work apart. But but the running of songs, you know, we get some semblance of dynamic from it and we're aware of it. But but our um, dynamics come much more from playing a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, I, I of course. I, yeah. I mean, obviously <coughs> the process, whatever the process is, works for you guys. I just um yeah, the rehearsal room to me is it's sacred ground. It's got to be quiet and and um, not quiet, but but controlled. And and yeah, a, a lot of it starts with not just the, the way the drums are played, but with the sound of the drums, too, and tuning them so that they don't overly ring out in the room using darker symbols and lighter symbols so that they're. Not totally. I mean, you know, it's a it, like you said, I mean, you've got a 20 by 20 room. My rehearsal studio here is a little smaller than that, 15 by 15. But I've had I don't know if I've had five horns in here at once, but I've had multiple horns, three. Uh, but I've also put some I put some treatment on the walls, you, you know, to keep things from bouncing around, uh-huh. uh, which helps obviously tremendously. And then the monitors are spread around the room in a strategic way so that everybody has something right near them and you're not trying to – the monitors can be the worst thing for cranking up volume, right? You know, And if you've got a monitor that's way over there that needs to reach you know, past over a guitar amp and maybe even over a snare drum to get to somebody, now that monitor is your worst enemy. Cause you've got yeah. to crank that thing up. You know what I mean? 
it's we have the one monitor it's a wedge and it's kind of in the center of the floor yeah right and so when I sing, I creep closer to it. Sure. But but this is why I'm saying it's kind of like survival. It's, it's just survival. Like it's, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to hear the vocals to know where you are in the song and, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And we, you know, it, it's, uh, we, we've, we've adapted to our environment. And, um, but our, my answer to what you said is our approach to, to dealing with subtleties is to break things down and sure. work just on that. But I mean, man, you know, like if you were to come to a house rock rehearsal, there's constantly two sets of guys talking about some aspect of a song, you know, yeah. two, two different conversations, horns, checking charts, you know, you know, playing little, little segments of a song together. Yeah. That's like hurting cats, man. Right. And so then, and then, you know, I'll ring the bell. All right, guys, you know, same page. And then, yep. you know, that's why, so that, that's the way that we do it is, is we yeah. run songs and I know it's frustrating because, you know, we have these great readers in our horn section, and they can read stuff down, but the rhythm section is, is memorizing stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I will run songs over and over a, to try and find a little bit of um, groove and finesse and you know, what works for us. And the horns are just reading the same thing over and over, but that's, that's the trade-off It's like, I don't make right. them memorize 200 songs, but, but rehearsal is for, for working songs. And that's what we do in rehearsals. We yeah. work songs. We, we find how to fit them to ourselves. What, what of the original are we keeping? What are we adding? And, you know, and then we do, we do stuff like we, we string parts of other songs into other songs and sure. you know, that type of stuff. That's what I mean. Roadmap, survival, perfection, uh, finessing. That's a large part of what it is, but the way that we handle subtlety is that's kind of done by itself. We, break we it down. just, yeah. we just, just do vocal parts. We shut everybody up and the guitars work at, you know, a double lead or something like that. Sure. Yeah. That's what it is. But, you know, it is not a, you know, um, it is not a Daryl's house type of environment that, you know, where we have clear sound. But that's interesting that you say that on those recordings, they don't look like they're playing that loud. They look pretty relaxed as they're playing. They don't look like they're fighting any kind of no, sound. No, they don't look like they're fighting. <clears throat> Excuse me. They don't look like they're fighting. And it could be that it's it's quieter than it seems. I mean, just that that drummer hits so hard. But again, he's got at least two stories above him, plus the room that he's in. Right. I mean, it's a you can see it's like a big tunnel. that goes up. And uh, and my guess is that's, you know, intentional that they put him there. You can see where like over where Daryl sat, um, it the, the ceilings are lower. Yeah. You know, and he's got a monitor aimed right at him. So but they you have know, a guy doing percussion. It doesn't look like he's banging his brains. No, out. he doesn't. And, yeah. and they're bringing so many different artists in yeah. who must all have different experiences with dealing with, with loud. That's right. You know, and none of them look like they're, you know, they're, like they're fighting it. So nope. I don't know. Yeah. Listen but they've the all guy. got monitors aimed right at them and you know, they're tuned up perfectly and, and yeah. all of that too. So yeah. Yeah. The drummer always using sticks or is he using those pack things? Uh, for the most part sticks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's, you know, he's got, there's nothing to reflect the drum sound back down at him. And that, that makes a huge difference. It, it, you know, if you can, if you can kill that either by, you know, just having nothing above you or whatever you have above you, if you can, you know, put it, those acoustic tiles or work really well, just something to break up the sound. So that it's not reflecting straight back down. It makes a, a huge difference. And, and that that's part of this here. I think, and we, you and I have had this conversation a couple different ways, but um, I, I think and correct me if I'm wrong. You told me that you've never been like the, the concept of a jam session has never interested you. Right. Where you just go on to get into a rehearsal room somewhere just to play for the sake of playing. It's always, you know, focus on live. Is that right? 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I, and I think it, that's where the difference comes for me because I, you know, the rehearsal room, I've had just as many great musical experiences in, in, you know, in private, if you will, as opposed as I have in public, but you don't, you know, you need to be able to hear and all of that stuff in order to enjoy those experiences. So I always kind of come into a rehearsal. Hey, yeah, I'll have a, a goal of, okay. You know, you know, I mean, the band will have a goal of, all right, we're going to work on this tune or these tunes or whatever, but there's also the goal of, I just want to have it sound good and, and enjoy playing. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, this is so there's part so- of that jam session mentality that goes into every rehearsal for me, even if it's, not a, I mean, not every, I mean, I don't mean to say I'm coming into rehearsal saying, Hey, let's goof off, you know, but uh, (laughs) well, sometimes you do. Right. But other times it's like, no, we got to like, absolutely not goof off and get stuff done. Uh, But I always like it to sound good. You know, I get, I enjoy that. So, well, this is interesting. So this is a good transition. I had a topic that I mentioned a couple of times that I thought would be really interesting to get a kind of like me interview you and get into the mind of a drummer. Uh Oh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's a different thing. You know, drums are just, I mean, all instruments are unique, of course, Mm. but, but to me in all of my musical experiences, even playing with you, relating to a drummer is a different thing. And, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, there are drummers who read, there are drummers who don't, you know, there's, there's people come at drums from a lot of different perspectives. Um, But to me, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of mystery that goes on in how to effectively, as a band leader, manage is a, a little bit of a harsh word, but sure. really coalesce. So, so I got I got some drummer questions. Okay. For you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. Shoot. As a drummer, what do you think your job in the band is? Um, not, as, not as a leader or anything like that. As a, as a contributing part of the musical engine. Yeah. What is, your, what is your job? What is your role? What are your responsibilities? Um, so it, there's it, every the drummer, like everyone, is the timekeeper, right? But I I don't put that role just on the drummer. Uh, I I put and, and you say to separate it from being a leader. I don't know that that's possible. But I always I always feel like the good drummers in a band are sort of the producer, if you will watching over everything that's happening and making sure everything stays together and being aware of, okay, that person needs to cover this part. That person needs to cover that part. All right. That person screwed up, you know, which happens. I mean, sometimes it's the drummer that screws up too. And you got to sort of be aware of that as well. But, but I always, that, you know, in terms of a band scenario, the, 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 um, keeping the train on the tracks, I always feel like is the drummer's job. What do you mean about keeping time, though? And, and what, what do you distribute the responsibility of keeping time? And what do you own as your responsibility of keeping time? Yeah. So it's up to the drummer to set the tempo and, and hold the tempo um, for sure, because that that's the point of that instrument. Right. It is. Is there's this 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 um, percussive energy. Right. Where it's it's very focused in this very rhythmic thing. And so th- for the most part. It's up to the drummer to define where that is. Now, that doesn't mean ignoring everything else that's going on on stage. If if the guitar player is, you know, starting the tune, well, you got to lock in with that person or the keyboard player, what, you know, whatever it is. I was going to say that because in the house rockers, I count off just yeah. about everything. Yeah, of course. Right. So so you accept you accept that you will take the count off. And if if 
if the person counting it off is going to commit to that, your job is to continue that tempo. Um, your job is to take that tempo and do the right thing with it. Ah, that's, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. So if it's counted off wrong, you snap it into right. Yes. Yeah. But, but you know, that's a delicate thing because the, the question is how quick, if it, if it's, if it's right, everything's good. Right. But if somebody else starts a tune or even if you as the drummer, if anybody starts the tune too fast or too slow, I always feel like depending on the population density of the dance floor, uh, you have, well, that can inversely uh, affect the amount of time that you have to correct that. If you've got a bunch of people up dancing um, and you don't fix the tempo within the first four bars, it stays where it is. Yeah. It has to. But again, that's part of that, that, you know, as the drummer, that, that sort of speaks to that, that when I say, you know, you got to kind of be aware of everything that's going on and manage the flow. That's part of it, right? Like, okay, what's going on here? Can we afford to make this change that we want to make? And, you know, where does that go? And and those split second decisions, someone needs to make them. And I don't, and I feel like the drummer is perfectly suited, especially when it comes to time, you know, and, and, and allowing the tempo to change. Um, because, no, you know, if the drummer doesn't change tempo, you ain't changing tempo. Conversely, if the drummer decides to waver the tempo all over the place, guess what you're doing? You know, what do you do when people drag? Um, well, that, that's interesting. I just keep playing the tempo. Well, is the whole band dragging? That's a, that's a good question, right? Your choice. We have conversations where like when there's interesting passages of songs, mm. um, like the horns, you know, might play a lick just slightly slightly behind as a unit right mm-hmm. and they're actually locked in with each other but you know i'll hear joe say you guys are dragging and so you know what do you do do you do you do you uh do you just play or do you play or do you you do resist the temptation to play to the dragged tempo or or you just stay on course and you know it's their it's their job to catch up to you uh, it really depends i mean if they're dragging just a little bit what you can do is sort of um, cover them by fattening up the beat a little bit and playing maybe the snare drum a little behind um, to give them, you know, more of a slosh factor, if you will, in the time so that it, so that everything kind of locks in and then you can sort of tighten that up when, when that yeah. figure ends. Um, or, I mean, it, it, it depends. There's no, there's no one hard answer. It's, it's always that split second in the moment kind of decision of, all right, how do we deal with what's happening here? After the fact, having the conversation like, Hey, that figure, you know, you're rushing that when you play it or you're dragging it a little bit. Um, But that can also be part of a band's sound. And this is something it it took me many decades of playing to learn that, you know, it used to be, I would get really upset. Like if somebody was, you know, always rushing the tempo or whatever, you know, always trying to drag it or whatever. I, I, you know, after the gig, it'd be like, man, you got to get it perfect. Like, yeah, perfect isn't necessarily what you actually want, though. And and in Fling, Russ has a tendency to rush everything. It, it's just how he plays, you know, with his guitar. He plays these great rhythmic figures, but he's always kind of pushing it. And I realized, you know, with me kind of holding it back and him pushing it, sometimes I'll follow him, uh, you know, sometimes unintentionally I'll follow him. But that's that's OK, too. It's kind of part of the sound. But. But that that gap that lives between, you know, where his quarter note is and where mine is, that's part of the fling sound. There's there's a yeah. pocket in there. Interesting. And so well, that can be a good thing. Here's a really interesting one. This is this might be core 
So I wanted to have this conversation. Okay. As a drummer, do you feel it's your ownership to kind of keep the band in four, eight, 16, 32, whatever, whatever chunk the song is calling for, does the rest of the band need to count or is it the band, is it the drummer's job to set up like when a section is going to end? Does everybody need to count 64 bars of solos or 32 bars or 16 bars? Or is it the drummer's job on these long passages, these open passages to always keep the band focused, bringing it back from a section of a song? Um, This is an interesting question because this actually comes up occasionally. Uh, I don't. This is going to come out the wrong way, but I'll just say it and then I'll clarify I don't understand how a musician wouldn't know where they were in the form of a, a, a tune like, you know, OK, it's an eight bar, eight bar phrase that we're going to repeat whatever four times. Right. How do you not know that you're at the end of those eight bars? It's just it, it's I, I, I don't count it. I feel it. But yeah, I so, know. So let me, let me but pause I, you right there. Well, but, but hang, hang, let me let me let me clarify ahead. something. I know that the reason I feel it is because I counted it so many times when I was coming up. Right. I mean, I, I know that this isn't just an automatic thing, but I just don't know how to teach that. Right. <laughs> you know, so go ahead. So this this and what you just said, I'm guilty of it often in our band, like huh. like a big open section. I'll just relax and let the guys do it. And I will sometimes not, not know exactly where I am in that phrase. Uh, and I'll come in in the wrong place and it makes my guys crazy Yeah, and, and that type of thing. But this is why I'm asking the question is like, and, 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 the, and the thing is, is that there have been occasions where like we, we um, open up the end of pretty woman where it's kind of this, where it's kind of this long jam, right? Yeah. Um, I will actually lose I'll actually lose the one, which is different than losing the yes, phrase. Totally right? different. Yeah. But I'll lose the one and I'll just like try and pull the band back in. And sometimes it's on a three. And then the, you know, I feel these looks going on around the stage <laughs> and, uh, and it's not a comfortable thing. Um, but um, my question is, and then, you know, Joe's actually a very generous musician. He will save my butt often on that. Sure. And, you know, and, and set up a one, like yeah. really emphasize a one, to help me get back. It, and it, and it happened, it's happened enough where clearly something about that song, you know, something about something about the jam, you know, I, I just am not feeling it when I come out of, out of playing, you know, an extended jam solo. Yeah, no, right? I, I get it. And that's, that's actually where it happens. I was just having this conversation with Mike, our, our guitar player in fling. Cause we were having a, a similar thing. We're in his solos and he's like, I just don't understand how you would even know to count that. And I said, well, <laughs> but, but, and I said, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, and I, I don't mean to, you know, belittle you or anything, but he writes, he's a songwriter too. And every song that he writes has these perfectly formed, you know, four or eight or 16 bar phrases. I mean, it's not like he's writing these tunes that are in, you know, it's like a phrase of three and a half. And then right. we go to the course, you know, I mean, there's these natural sort of, things that happen. I'm like, you know, this in inside you somewhere, this exists. So how does, how do you lose it? And, and, but again, I know the answer to this. When I was learning uh, to play the drums, I played a lot of jazz stuff, right? I mean, my teacher was a a jazz guy and everything about jazz is about the form of the tune, right? You, You know, you, if you're playing bebop, 
you are staying within whatever the form of that tune is. You're in it, whether you're playing the head of the tune, which is easy because there's the melody or, you know, the sax players soloing or the drummers soloing. Right. Mm -hmm. So the drummers even soloing over the form of the tune and every single person on stage, it's up to that person to know where you are in the form of the tune so that when you hit like, you know, the top of the B section, maybe they'll play the chord, you know, they'll just play a hit and say, yep, we're with you. We know where you are. Here you are, you know, and it's like, but it, and nobody's surprised by that. It's like, it's just everybody in. Okay. Yep. Here we are. But it's up to everybody to know where the form of the tune is. And, and, and I know that because I came up doing that stuff, it's now burned into me because, because I had gotten into a drum solo many times, I'm sure, and totally foobarred it. And it's not a good feeling to have the band start playing the head when you have no idea where they are, you know, right. <laughs> so you don't want that to happen again. That That's the kind of thing that. Uh, so the, the answer to your question is it is everybody's responsibility to stay in time and stay in form, not, not the drummer's responsibility to you. you the, the rhythm section cannot, cannot just lay back and, and not be accountable right. for where they come back in. Yeah. But th- at the same time, I mean, the, the goal is to make everybody look good in that particular moment on stage. So if somebody's lost, we're going to catch it. Every right. time. And I and the same happens to me because I'm not perfect either. I mean, it happens to me even today where I get lost in the form and our bass player will kind of catch me. And that's a nice thing to know, because it means I can, you know, stretch a little and try a fill that, you know, might require more concentration than I should devote to a fill, you know, <laughs> or something and then get lost and have our bass player be like, nope, here's the boom. You know, there's the one. All right. Thanks, man. Gotcha. I'm back in. It's all good. So, all right, good. yeah, it's good. Yeah. One last uh, mini therapy question. <laughs> you as a drummer. Yeah. What do you want to tell the rhythm sections of the world? Oh, uh, uh, wow. That's a good question. I don't know that I have a follow me. Oh, not necessarily. No, play with me. Let's play together is, is definitely. I don't. How, I, how do I, you feel when, when someone tells you you're dragon or, or rushing? Um, do you take it personally first and then consider it or do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. Um, because I pride myself on, on playing in time, but I know that I'm not perfect. So, you know, when somebody says, oh, you're speeding that up. My first, like the the first thought, I don't necessarily say it out loud. The middle finger comes out. My first thought is F you. It's raising. Exactly. (laughs) But I don't say that anymore. You know, I've learned like, oh, you know, he's either he's probably right because I know this guy and, and, you know, he wouldn't BS me on this. Or sometimes people, you know, it's like, oh, okay, fine. But, but more often than not, even if someone is far less skilled than you, when they tell you you're rushing or dragging, they're probably right. <laughs> uh, and that's what I've learned over the years. So yeah, my first thought is, I mean, it's, it's, it's F you, but it's not, um, it's not that I'm mad at them. <laughs> it's that I'm mad at me, you know, for not getting it right. But, but then I also feel like there's times when it's okay to rush or drag a tune. I, I'm not, is that, are you unique in that in that understanding of that? And do you communicate that very well to other people who don't understand it? Because that sounds to me like a it's kind of like a Dave's view of the world. It's OK to rush a tune. I don't know if that's a, you know, and different people have different takes on that. Right. Sure. Yeah, well, and different. I mean, even the same people have different takes on different songs on different scenarios. Yeah. yeah. But no, I think like the last chorus of a tune 
you want to have like a little bit of lift. Sometimes it depends on the tune. You know, sometimes if you're playing like a second line, you know, little feet kind of thing, maybe you actually want it to drag a little bit, you know, um, or maybe you need it to stay like right in the pocket and not move. But if you're that's playing- actually really interesting. So, so what you're actually saying there, time, even within a song is not a holy thing. Uh-uh. No, the groove is the holy thing. And, and there's a difference between groove and time because so if some, you want to get swampy and nasty on a, on a second line thing. Yeah. Drag might be appropriate. If yeah. You especially want to for like the gospel, third, the third you know, verse of a, of a second line tune where it breaks down a little bit, you might like just pull on the reins a little bit, you know, to, to drag it back. Yeah. Right. These big, like these big double time endings in gospel are often not strict double time. They're actually, pushed a little bit. Right? Oh, they're, you're, yeah. You're, you're adding 10% to the tempo even after you've doubled the time. That's right. right. And that's, I, I, I listen, it, like I said, it, the groove is holy. The, the, the time is not because the time, the time has to serve the groove. Interesting. There's your, there's that, there's, if you want me to <laughs> tell that, that, that's the, the you, you want to <laughs> encapsulate this for me to tell rhythm sections of the world, the time has to serve the groove. That's very cool. Yeah. Well done, Dave. Thanks, man. That was good. That was a, uh, I like that, uh, that, that little segment that was, you've been, you've been, you, you mentioned it, I don't know, a month, month and a half ago or something. And, uh, I was, I was, uh, apprehensive about it cause I didn't know where it was going to go. Well, you know, it's funny for all the time we've spent together over the years, you know, business trips and, you know, just hanging mm-hmm. these phone calls, we actually have never had that conversation. Right. No. And like, you know, you and Joe are my best friends who are drummers. And I, I, these are, these are questions I want to ask. And what happens is, you know, especially in a band, um, you start to interpret where the other guy is coming from. Yes. Just ask him. Right. Right. This is my public service to rhythm sections everywhere that, uh, you know, your drummer is having some version of these thoughts and your band is having some negotiation over these concepts. Hopefully this is helpful for everybody. Well, I, I will say this, though. The easy part is with you and I, because we don't regularly play in a band together. Uh, when you ask me these questions, I, I read no ulterior motive into it. Got it. Yeah, that's you, that's the key. You, you know what I mean? I know that you're just asking because you you know you want to a you want to know and b you think it might be interesting for our listeners to know, which right. is great. But if we're playing in a band together and we've been playing in a band for ten years, and you start suddenly asking me, "Hey, man, what are your feelings on uh, you know slowing down?" I'm like, uh, what what's going? Telegraphing. Yeah, what's yeah. going on here? Right. It's it, it's not so easy anymore. Right. You know, it, it's. You need to sort of set the conversation up like, hey, I heard this great podcast uh, and (laughs) and I would love to have this same conversation with you. But no, you know, like there's no ulterior motive here. Um, One of my favorite I I, I do want to share a thing you said, is it the drummer, the drummer's job to uh, catch the band and and pull, you know, pull everybody back together when everybody's sort of off in, in the left field. And I'm always reminded of this uh, live spin doctors recording from like, I think it was like 1990 or something, maybe 1992 um, called home belly groove live. It was a a live, live set that they recorded of theirs and they transitioned from Shinbone alley into refrigerator car, I think. And uh, you can hear Aaron Comas playing and trying to like, you know, he's they're grooving along and they're just in like this little funky jam thing that the spin doctors would do. And he plays the fill to go into the next tune and the rest of the band stays right where they were. 
and he plays the fill to go on to the next tune. And the, the, like most of the band stays where they were, but one guy joins him and then drops back. And then finally he plays four beats of nothing but 16th notes. <laughs> and you can tell it's like, Hey everybody watch this. Here we go. <laughs> and, but sometimes that's what you need, it, you know, and then it's, and then they change and it's like, ah, yeah. Okay. Somebody, and the drummer can do that, you know, to try and get a guitar player to, to be able to get everybody's attention just by doing something for four beats nearly impossible unless ahead of time you've worked out, Hey, when I play this figure, it means I need your attention. Right. And you think that's what uh, that Harry Connick thing is. Is that, is that something that they've agreed on? You might want to tell people what we're talking about. (laughs) We posted this to our Facebook account and you showed it to me years ago. It was like a proto gig gab conversation um, where Harry Connick is playing uh, this, this it's like a new Orleans thing. And the, it's gospel is kind of whatever second line thing. And the crowd is clapping on the one and the three and he plays a measure of five uh, and the band follows him so that the, he catches the crowd and makes them now clap on the two and the four without even thinking about it. Genius. It's genius. Yeah. But you clearly they've had this conversation because he gives like a nod to the to the band like, OK, I'm going to do that thing because uh, it drives me crazy when they clap on the one and the three. But, you know, they've had this conversation and it's not the first time they've done it. Yeah, I think I think so. You know, the um, you know, I'm a big fish fan, which doesn't come up as often as as uh, the <laughs> fact that you're a Bruce fan. Well, well played. There's <laughs> thank you. Um, and but they worked out a what they called their secret language um, because they wanted to be able to specifically the guitar player, Tranastasio. He wanted to be able to uh, communicate ideas to the band while they were playing. And so they came up with this whole language um, where they would do different things. And if they played, they shared some of it with the crowd, but years, this was decades ago, like in the early nineties when they did this. And I think the last time they used this language, at least the crowd focused portion of the language was, I don't know, five or six years ago. And that was the first time in 10 years. So they haven't done the whole crowd thing a lot, but, but they did, they taught some of the language to the crowd where they would play. They had this one little trill that they would play that meant, Hey, I want to get your attention. And then, um, whatever came after that would be a signal for something like they'd play. If it was four notes descending, uh, the whole crowd was supposed to fall down. Um, if they played, uh, for every season, turn, 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 you know, the, the birds, like the, the head of that, everybody was supposed to turn around and applaud the back of the crowd, uh, the back of the arena. Um, if they played the Simpsons, the crowd was supposed to yell, Doh! and, uh, and it, you know, it's interesting, but they also, for them, they didn't commute. They, so they, they put out a flyer in like 93 of, of the things they wanted the crowd to know, but they had their own things. And one of them was, and you can hear it on some, some fish recordings. If you listen to live stuff, they play the the you know the first sort of line to get back, which means get back to the tune. We've been out in the weeds. We've been doing whatever it is we're doing. Let's get back to the tune that we actually started playing, and the whole band would just you know tighten right up and do that. So so you you can do these things is is what I'm saying. It's possible that you know you don't just need the drummer to in a fit of frustration to you know pound on his snare drum sixteen times in a row to get everybody's attention, but it has to be intentional. You got to, you know, think about it ahead of time, but it can be really cool when you do that. And then you can have a career like fish does. So there you go. That's part of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. Uh, We got a little bit time. Okay. You got more. I don't know. We're at the 40 minute mark. We can, I I got time. Yeah. 
No, 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 no. I think I think you know, the other stuff. I want to do um, next week. I think we should do how how you stand out. Or actually, it's getting towards tax season. We might do the tax conversation. Probably fit those both in next week if that's okay with you. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll prioritize the tax one, and then we'll see if we can uh, figure out how to tell people how to stand out, if if at all. Great. I don't know. I don't know. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com is where you can find us always. And really uh, find us on Facebook at Giggab Podcast. We've been trying to be, we, ha- we haven't been trying. We've been better about posting more stuff than just the podcast there, including some of the things we mentioned in the show and all. Um, and we'll, we'll find more as, as the, uh, as the week goes on too. So it's good stuff. Sure. Folks, thanks for listening. And we will, uh, we will see you next time. Have a good week, Paul. See you, Dave.